Let me invite you, church, to open uh, the scriptures this morning with me once again to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find Isaiah chapter 42 on page 588. Today we return to that chapter for part two of Isaiah 42, and we've been in Mark's gospel for some time together now. We've been in our second series in Mark's gospel, uh, titled The Servant King, and for Uh, Last Sunday and today, we break from that and we see similar themes traced in the prophet Isaiah. And then next week, we'll return to Mark's gospel as we finish up uh, that book and Mark's witness as we look at the final week of Jesus's life here on earth. You know, fake news articles um, have sent shockwaves into the homes of many concerned citizens in recent months. Uh, If this is news to you, then you uh, are probably not on Facebook or Twitter uh, or other social media, but some of the top offenders uh, are The Onion, uh, The Spoof, The Babylon Bee, News Mutiny, uh, The Barowitz Report, among uh, many others. You know, sometimes the media simply gets it wrong, Uh, but in the case of these, these are uh, intentional Uh, approaches to twisting the truth, uh, hinting at an element of truth for the sake of satire uh, in order to bring uh, a laugh to their readers. Uh, I read an article just a few days ago uh, from 2016 uh, entitled uh, How to Spot Fake News, Uh, and it was on factcheck.org, and those authors listed a number of steps that we ought to take in order to discern whether news is legit or not. Uh, And the first of those steps was to consider the source. Is it a reliable source? Uh, Is this meant to be news or is this meant to simply be humor? Uh, Is this person reliable and trustworthy or is this someone simply writing to promote a certain agenda? Well, church, I want you to know when it comes to the most significant news of all, uh, we have a solid source. A solid source. Uh, In this book, church, the creator of the universe reveals himself to us and describes himself for us. Is that not baffling? To be honest, the more time I spend in the scriptures, the more time I spend in the Bible, the more I am convinced that this book truly is the Word of God. Two Testaments, 66 books, written by numerous authors over some span of 1,500 years, and yet unified in subject matter and storyline around uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, culminating in the cross of Christ. As we look at Isaiah, once again, this morning, uh, Isaiah speaks of a servant who is to come. We said last week that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in difficult times in Israel's history, some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, all dominant powers in Isaiah's day and during his ministry, and as a result of these pagan powers, many of God's people had compromised. They worshipped idols, and they had turned to other kings, other armies, other gods. In the midst of danger and disappointment, they 
failed to trust God and forgot to hope in God. And so through Isaiah, the Lord speaks of a servant who is to come. And as the story progresses, as the rest of Isaiah unfolds, we learn that this servant is a suffering servant. He's a servant who will come, sent from the Lord to suffer for God's people. Ultimately, he will suffer for their sins. Isaiah chapter 53. And hundreds of years after Isaiah writes, the apostles, after the coming and the living and the dying and the rising of Jesus Christ, make clear that Jesus Christ is that suffering servant. That He is the Messiah. That He is the one that God predicted and promised through Isaiah the prophet. As we looked at Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 through 4 last week, we saw that Jesus the Messiah is sent from God. He is God's servant sent to establish justice. And today we're going to look at the second half of that passage, Isaiah 42, beginning in verse 5. And what I love about this text is this text addresses the question, how do we know? How, how do we know that this is going to happen? And from our vantage point, how do we know that this did happen? How can we be sure that this is legit news? How can we be sure that we're listening to a solid and reputable source How can we know that the servant will be a king who will reign and who will come and display humility and who will suffer willingly and who ultimately will be the hope of the world? And the simple answer, church, is this. Because God says so. Because God says so. So let's look at the text together. Isaiah chapter 42. Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. I'll read verses 1 through 9 and then we will... Specifically focused today on verses 5 through 9. The word of the Lord reads this way. Here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. So here's this prophecy about the servant who will come. He will display humility. He will carry out God's plans. He will establish justice. The world will put their hope in him. Verse 5, how do we know? This is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Let's bow in prayer. And Father, we do thank you this morning for being a God who has spoken and who speaks to us through your word. 
Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear now. Guide us by the presence and the power of your spirit that we might rightly understand the truths of your word and apply them to our lives as your people today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. The church, you may be seated. So according to the scriptures, here and elsewhere, uh, God is in control and he knows what he's doing. You know, it's not a good thing to be in control if you don't know what you're doing. It's not good for a, a child who doesn't yet know how to drive to be behind the wheel of a car with the keys and the ignition. But God is in control and he knows exactly what he's doing. In short, I think we see from this passage of Scripture today that the Lord God moves history toward His glorious purposes. The Lord God, the only God, the God of the Scriptures, the Lord God moves history toward His glorious purposes. Of course, He is God, He is sovereign, and He has a mission that He is carrying out, a mission that He is accomplishing We're going to look at some of the specifics of who he is this morning and his mission that I believe he has been carrying out and is carrying out and will carry out. But before we do, let's let that overarching, that central truth sink in. That the Lord God guides history toward his glorious purposes. This is not simply a theme of Isaiah. This, I think, is a central tenet of God's word, that God is not a weak God. He is the almighty God. He is not a detached God. He is an ever-present God. He is not a confused God. He is the all-knowing one. And ultimately, according to his word, that he is working and moving toward the arrival of a servant who will carry out his purposes in the world. One who gives sight to the blind and one who brings healing to the broken. One who comes and provides forgiveness of sins. One who comes and restores broken people into right relationship with God and one who will come again. The Lord God moves history toward His glorious purposes. So friends, let's take comfort for He is sovereign. Take comfort today Because God is sovereign. This is who He is. He is sovereign. He reigns supreme. There is none like Him. And even so, He is good. And He is working for our good and for His own glory. Even so, we know that this world is filled with heartache and hurt, disappointment and loss. Like the last few days have been difficult days for many in this church family. We've lost a faithful member of this family of believers. Someone who loved the Lord and served the Lord well. Their sister of ours, Angelia, lost her life to cancer at just 48 years of age. And friends, I'm not going to pretend... To understand these things, to know why God allows certain things to happen as He does in this life. But I do know, I trust His Word. 
I believe in His promises and I believe that He is sovereign and that He is good and that He is the God of all comfort and hope and restoration and healing and that He is working in and through and beyond these things ultimately for our good and for His own glory. So let's take comfort for God is sovereign. Who is this sovereign one? Who is He? Well, through Isaiah, He tells us who He is. He tells us that He alone is God. Yahweh alone is God. Yahweh alone is is God. Yahweh is the divine name with which God reveals Himself to Israel. It's the name He uses when He reveals Himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It's a name that appears over 6,000 times in the Old Testament to distinguish the God of Israel from the false gods and insignificant gods of pagan people. In fact, the Hebrews were out of reverence for for God, of reverence for Yahweh, would not pronounce this name. They would not write this name. With time, tradition arose to use the Hebrew Adonai, which means Lord, in place of his name Yahweh, out of reverence and respect for him. And many modern English translations, most modern English translations continue this practice, this tradition. So every time we see in most of our English translations, Lord in all caps, that's a reference to Yahweh, the divine name of God. Verse 5, this is what God, uh, the Lord, Yahweh says. Jehovah, a word, a name that we're familiar with, that we've heard is a, a Latinized version of Yahweh, an attempt to Latinize the name uh, Yahweh. And at its basis, it means something like He is or He exists. So when God uses this, He's saying, I am. I am the sovereign one. I am the one who is in control. I am the one who is faithful. I am the one who is carrying out my purposes. I am the one who stands apart and outside of creation. Yahweh alone is is God. I'm going to read some of these verses again, references here. Emphasize the name of God. Verse 5, this is what God, Yahweh, says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out. Verse 6, I, Yahweh, have called you in righteousness. Verse 8, I am Yahweh. He says, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. In other words, God says, Yahweh says, through his servant Isaiah, you can believe what I'm saying. My servant is going to come. He's going to carry out my mission because of who I am. Trust me. Through Isaiah, we see that Yahweh alone is God. And we see that Yahweh creates and sustains life. He creates and he sustains life. Verse 5 of Isaiah 42. This is what God Yahweh says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. In other words, he is a solid source. He is a reputable source because he is the maker of heaven and earth. Because he alone is the creator. He is the one who stretched out the heavens and who formed the earth, who fashioned the mountains, who provides all the necessary conditions to provide oxygen on this earth. 
He is the one who gives us food and water and other basic provisions necessary for life. You see, when we realize this, we have no choice but to surrender to His might, for we are dependent on Him. And we have every reason to trust that He is faithful and true, that He will do what He says He's going to do, for not only is He our Creator and Sustainer, but He is a God who is working to bring about our redemption. He is a God who redeems. The Lord God moves history toward His glorious purposes, purposes that involve the coming of a servant who will carry out our redemption. Yahweh keeps His promises of salvation through His servant. He alone is God. He creates and He sustains life. And He keeps His promises of salvation through His servant. Let's look back at the text together. Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. This message was originally delivered to the people of Israel. But the you in verse 6 four times is singular. We we don't see that in English because you in English can mean plural or singular. But in the original language of the Scriptures, the you here is singular. Referring to an individual servant, an individual person. So as I read through verses 6 and 7 again, read it with that in mind. I, the Lord, have called you singular in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you both singular to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So when God says this and addresses the you in verse 6, He's speaking of His servant. Not collectively, He's speaking of a servant, a particular servant in in mind, and as we see, as the rest of the story unfolds, as we see in light of the rest of the witness of the Scriptures that this servant is the Messiah. He is the suffering servant. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think the reformer John Calvin got it right here in saying that Jesus did not need to be taught by God what He was to do. This is not so much for His sake, this is for our sake. That we might look to Him and more fully place our confidence and our hope in Him. See, God says that a servant will come and He will establish justice on earth. He will come and He will make a new covenant that includes the Gentiles, the nations of the world. He will come and He will liberate people from bondage. A bondage far greater than the bondage that the Israelites in that day were experiencing under the hand of the Babylonians. No servant would come and provide spiritual liberation through the marvelous light of God's grace, opening the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf to hear and respond to the truth of God's salvation. We've been looking at Mark's gospel, and doesn't that sound like the subtle yet intentional message that Mark is conveying? We just finished Mark chapters 8 through 10, where Jesus three times tells his disciples that he's going to suffer and that he's going to die, and encapsulates each of those messages where he teaches them about the ways of his kingdom with the healing of a blind man 
intentionally emphasizing through Mark's writing, through the Spirit's witness, that the disciples don't yet get it. They don't quite fully have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth concerning the Messiah's mission. They don't understand that He is going to lay down His life for the salvation of of the world. And yet right there in that section, Jesus tells His disciples, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, He says, I came, the Son of Man came. Messianic reference, as we've seen. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see, the King has come. The King came, and He came serving for our salvation. Friends, Yahweh alone is God. Yahweh creates and sustains life. Yahweh keeps His promises of salvation through His coming servant. And finally, through the servant, Yahweh does extraordinary things. Yahweh does extraordinary things. Verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 42. God says, See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So here is God in the greater context of Isaiah's message making an intentional contrast between His faithfulness and His power and His promises and that of false pagan gods. God is saying, in essence, you can trust me. You can trust my promises. You can know that these things I say will come about because everything I have promised before has come about. The the former things, verse 9, the former things, they have taken place. The things I promised, they have come to fruition. And so in essence, he says, listen up. Uh, Don't miss this. New things are coming. And they will take place just as I promised. For I am sovereign. And church, He is sovereign. And He is good. He is moving history toward His glorious purposes. As we, as we seek to sort of put some major con- conclusion m- remarks on this and Bring it to application. Don't don't miss this. Don't miss this. Yahweh, the one and only God, doesn't simply send His servant to carry out His task. He doesn't just send a servant or His servants. No, He is the servant. He is the servant who comes to serve us for our salvation. You know, not too long ago, we had a leak in the front yard of our house and our main water line, and I called a plumber and had a plumber come out and look at it. And the head guy came late on a Thursday afternoon. I don't think it was that late. He kind of let us know that it was late, but he came on a Thursday afternoon and he identified the problem and gave us a quote and said, you know, it's late on Thursday. I can't get to this today, but I'll send my guys out in the morning and they'll take care of it understandable, not faulting him, at least not too much. So uh, he sends his guys out and they do it the next day. This is not how God is operating here. God doesn't send his guys. He comes. He is the servant. 
See, Jesus Christ, the one who was born of the Virgin Mary and laid in a manger, who grew up to be a carpenter and to call disciples and to heal the sick and to open the eyes of the blind, to feed the masses, to go to the cross, to be raised from the dead. He is God in the flesh. He is Yahweh incarnate. He is the servant of God. God is the suffering servant for our good. In fact, turn far to the right in the pages of Scripture to the New Testament letter written to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all short letters that Apostle Paul wrote to various churches in the New Testament times. Philippians, he writes to congregation at Philippi and he is encouraging them to be united to be characterized by humility and love and as he's instructing them he suddenly bursts into this theological treatise on who God is and what he has accomplished in the incarnation Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 and following the scriptures read this way Uh, he writes in your relationships Christians uh, with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus Okay, what does that look like? He says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant. Church, I I think an intentional allusion to Isaiah's suffering servant passages. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, hear this. Therefore God exalted him, right, to the highest place and gave him the name. Gave him the name that is above every name. The name of God. This is Yahweh. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is Lord to the glory of, of God the Father. Why does this matter? The suffering servant in Isaiah's prophecy is Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world. He is the only God, the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son comes to us, the fullness of God and human flesh. This is not some new God sent to balance out the God of the Old Testament. No, we serve one unchanging God. This is God in the flesh, the eternal God in human flesh. Now what is more, when Paul writes here in Philippians chapter 2 and he calls upon believers to confess the lordship of Christ, like he does in Romans chapter 10, when he says everyone who confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. I think, yes, he is saying confess Jesus is master, but even more than that, confess that Jesus is Yahweh. He and Yahweh are one. Friends, this is why the religious leaders in Jesus' day get so upset in John chapter 10 when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus comes to us as the servant of God, God in the flesh, the fullness of God in human flesh. Friends, the God of the Scriptures is remarkable. He is sovereign and He is good. He is unrivaled. He is un. Paralleled, he is unmatched in wisdom and power and grace and love. If you want joy, if you want peace, if you want comfort, if you want purpose, then turn to him.
believe in him. Friends, let's believe in him. Let's believe that he is who he says he is in his written word and in his word made flesh. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's believe in him even when others reject him. Let's believe in him. And then, friends, let's worship him. Let's worship him. The one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's worship the one and only God worthy of our praise. Philippians 2.10 that we just read. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's worship. In other words, God is glorified. We see in the Scriptures, God is glorified when Jesus is worshipped. And somehow we have to make sense of what is being said here with what God says through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, when he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. God is glorified when Jesus is worshipped, yet that same God says, I will not allow anyone else to be worshipped. These two are one and the same. How can this be? One God in three persons. Friends, this is illogical. This defies mathematics. This doesn't make sense. My six-year-old daughter knows this, and she's called me to task on this, and I'm yet to give her a satisfactory answer. It is a mystery, yet it is true. Church, this is the God who has made himself known to us. This is the one and only God. This is the God who invites us to know and to follow and to worship him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's believe in him. Let's worship him. And finally, friends, let's spend our lives serving him. Serve him. Serve him. Serve this God. He is king. He is Lord. He is savior. He is sovereign. He is faithful. He is good. And he loves you and me. And he calls us to know and to follow him. May we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords all of our days here on this earth and forevermore. Amen. Father, we pray that that would be true in our lives. We pray that we would be a people who surrender to you, who know and follow after you. Lord, who trust you and who take you at your word, even when it doesn't make sense to us, even when it challenges our assumptions and our misperceived notions. Father, even when it confronts us, especially when it confronts us in our sin. Lord, guide us that we might surrender and follow the Savior. Hear our praise now. Lead us to respond in a way that glorifies your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.